Well, hello Exchange Church. My name is Pastor Mark. And as always share, me, myself and my beautiful wife, Pastor Elia, the lead pastors here. And we love the privilege of leading this church. What an incredible blessing and opportunity to get to share with people every week and speak into their relationship with God. We don't uh, take that lightly. In fact, we pray fervently that your relationship with God is constantly growing and building because of what's happening here at Exchange Church. We pray that when you go into the world, your world, where you spend time, you are encountering God and you are being equipped to be able to be the hands, the feet, the hope, the life of Christ, because that's what it's all about. And so let's pray for today's word. I pray, God, that today's word would touch our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have an open heart and God, I pray that people's hearts and minds would be transformed by the power of your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I shared an, an, a message about comparison. And I talked about how comparison is when we take basically our eyes off God and we start to put and place our eyes on man. And instead of God being the standard by which things are measured, we now look to man as the measuring stick. And unfortunately, the implication of that is that we are no longer comparing ourselves to God, but we are comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, therefore disconnecting ourselves from the promises that God has for us. My prayer is that we would lift our eyes off others and we would focus on Christ the true standard by which things will be measured against so that therefore we can believe for and pray for the favor and the promises of God. God is a good God. And then not so long ago, I believe it was not last week, but the week before I talked about distractions and how, how to identify what is a distraction in one's life and takes us away from the very thing that God has called us to, to focus on. And I believe this is that sometimes a good thing can actually get in the way of a God thing. What do I mean by that? I mean that a family, our family, my family is a good thing. And Jesus was teaching a crowd and one of the um, people listening saw Jesus's mother and brothers wanting to get Jesus's attention. And so during that, he, he calls out to Jesus and says, your mother and brother are here. And then Jesus' response was actually really quite fascinating. He said, who are my mother and brothers? My mother and brothers are the ones that do the will of the Father. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. What was happening there? Purpose was prioritizing time. He wasn't devaluing his mother and brothers with that statement because our mother and brothers are a good thing. Our family is a good thing, but purpose was prioritizing time. In fact, I don't know if I would be in America if I let family lead my life, if I was led by family, but no, we are called to be spirit led. And so at times there are good things that can get in the way of God things. And I pray that God will give us the discernment to be able to work out, to sift through uh, what is, uh, has become uh, an idol, what has become something that's blocking us from what God has called us to do. So today, I actually want to talk about sin. 
I love when you put that out there, some people instantly put up a shield and try to block themselves. And I know for a fact that one of the dangers of talking about sin is that instead of people walking away from a message like this feeling free or feeling, um, feeling like their spirit has been lifted up, often, traditionally, a lot of people when the conversation of sin comes up, they feel guilty, they feel condemned, they feel angry or hurt or frustrated. And often I have to ask the question and wonder, what was the spirit behind the person teaching that message that was imparted into the people? Was it guilt? Was it condemnation? Or was it love? Was it compassion? I don't know, maybe, maybe you have been scarred in this area, hearing a message like that. Well, I pray today that you would walk away from this message and not just feeling free, but also challenged because I believe that sin is one of those things that separates us from God. Now, I take that very seriously, that people can walk away feeling guilty and condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to redeem you. That is crucial that you understand that in the context of a message about sin. Jesus didn't come, he did not come to condemn you. He came to free you. He came to redeem you. That is why Jesus came. John 3, 17, not John 3, 16, John 3, 17. The passage that follows the very famous, maybe the most famous scripture on planet earth. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He come to save you. He didn't come to condemn you. And that word right there, condemn, in this interpretation, some interpretations use the word judge. That word condemn literally means judged. When I talk to people, uh, often one of the reasons that they have left the church is because uh, that have left the church. When I talk to people who have left the church, they often have some sense or awareness that God loves them, but they feel judged and condemned by man. They feel guilt that has come from man. And I want you to listen to this. It's Romans 8, 1 to 2. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Did you hear that? Sin leads to death. But you've been freed from that condemnation and freed from sin that leads to death. You are free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So my prayer is you will not walk away from a message like this feeling like my position here was to judge you and condemn you. No, it says right there from scripture that Jesus came not to condemn, but to redeem in Jesus' name. When I was around, around 20, 21 years old, it was an interesting period in my life. I was a young guy, um, full of the opposite of wisdom, whatever the opposite of wisdom is, probably foolishness. And within a one or to two year period, maybe it was, maybe it was three or four, talking 20 plus years ago, um, I had a $16,000 motorcycle stolen. Many of you have heard this story, but for those who haven't indulged, uh, uh, a $16,000 motorbike stolen. 
within the same couple of years, I had a brand new graphite. This is when graphite golf um, sticks just came out. I had a graphite golf kit that was stolen from my garage. And also, within the same time frame, some of you heard this story before, I had a guitar that I had saved up for uh, $3,000 plus guitar, and we're talking Australian dollar AUD, and it was all stolen within a short period of time, pretty much $20,000 worth of stuff. The pain was deep. It was, it was so frustrating. I still actually remember when I came downstairs from the apartment that I was living in down to the foyer where I would park my motorcycle because I was too lazy to drive it around and put it in my garage and lock it up in there, even though the foyer was also under lock. But I, I remember coming down the stairs and my, and my motorbike was not there. And my, my heart rate instantly went from 80 beats per minute to 180 beats per minute, basically instantly like that, because I was, I was in shock, where is my motorbike? And so I said to myself, well, I probably put it in the garage, I couldn't remember. And I remember walking um, out of the foyer, around to the garage, and my hand was shaking as I unlocked the garage, and I opened it up, and I was praying, God, please, please let my motorbike be in the garage and I opened the door and it wasn't there. Someone had stolen my motorbike. What was even worse than that, what was even worse than that is uh, I still owed $10,000 and I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any insurance because the cost of insurance was astronomical. It was three and a half thousand ish dollars a year for me to insure this bike. Within three, four years, I could buy exactly the same bike. And so I thought that was wisdom and a, and a smart move. Turns out it's the worst move possible. I was absolutely devastated. I still owed $10,000. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that day that the consequence of sin can travel in many different directions not just in the direction of the person who committed the sin. What I discovered is first, it can travel in the direction of the one that committed the sin, things like guilt that they have, that they can get from committing that sin, the shame, and ultimately, my prayer was that they would feel convicted and return my bike, which never happened. I'm still waiting, still waiting for a miracle bike one day to turn up. But secondly, that same guilt, that the same sin that took place, almost as if there was this explosion of sin, can head in my direction because of what someone else did. I can then take the bait and all of a sudden, I can, in my heart, have rage, anger, bitterness, and ultimately, because of that sin that they committed, not me, I can, lead to, I can be led to a place of unforgiveness where I refuse to forgive that person because of what they've done to me, believing that I'm justified because of the severity of that sin. And so I realized that sin, it's almost as if sin sets off an explosion of things that God detests, and it goes in all of these different directions. I want you to think about this. I wonder how many people right now have hate in their heart because against all police because of what one police person did. How many people have hate in their heart against all police because of what one policeman did? Did you know, I don't know if you know my story, some of you have heard this, 
but that's part of my childhood. My parents owned a small business. It was a flourishing business. And there was a car accident at the front of that business. The person who caused the accident was the wife of a police officer. And so the police officer tried to ask my father to, to lie about what had happened and say that the other person caused that accident. My father refused because he's a man of integrity. And what followed that was a drug raid in business hours that basically caused my parents' business to fail. They never found any drugs. In fact, it went to court. It went to one of the highest courts in the land and the police were found guilty and actually had to apologize on national TV for what they did to our family. I was taught at a young age, because of the environment, to hate police, because they're corrupt, they're horrible, what they would do to your family, you know, and thank God that my parents were gracious and they did teach me about forgiveness and so forth in the long run. But I wonder how many people despise a whole church because of what one member said to them from that church. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Some people say, I'll never shop at Target again because of how I was treated by a worker that was having a bad day. And we put everything into a box. See the flip side right now, when talking about sin, I said and shared at the beginning that the danger of talking about sin is people walk away feeling, they feel guilty, they feel, they feel beat up and so forth. But the flip side is, is being hypersensitive to people feeling judged and condemned is to preach a watered down message about sin and the grace of God. That is the flip side consequence of what can happen. If I don't tell it like it is and, and declare it as it is, then the danger, what is the potential impact of that? We water things down because we don't want to offend people. It's true, yet we live in a culture where it seems everybody's offended at something. They're offended at what you say. They're also offended at what you don't say. And we become, in a sense, sensitive to sin in the way that we preach. But mark my words, God detests sin. He detests it. In fact, Proverbs 6, verse 16 says this, these things, and he uses, uh, scripture uses much stronger language than I use. I use the word detest, but I'll let you see what he's uh, written in scripture. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked, devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord amongst brethren. God detests it, God hates sin because of not only the impact of, of what it does in my life, but because ultimately it separates us from him because God is just and God is righteous. God is just and God is righteous. And I want you to really understand the heart of what I'm saying here is grace, and this is a misconception of what grace is when it comes to the context of sin. Grace doesn't, it does not tolerate sin. It changes it. Grace does not tolerate sin. It changes it. You are not being gracious to someone for tolerating sin because grace changes sin. 
Grace does not accept sin. It breaks it. It breaks people free from the chains and bondage of what sin causes in someone's life and ultimately separates people from God. How we share that message is very different because we're mature, we're gracious, we're wise, we're loving, we're kind. How that message is delivered is important. But please do not misunderstand what true grace is. It doesn't tolerate and it does not accept sin. Grace is almost like a cancer to sin. Cancer is cells that can keep multiplying and take over someone's body and their organs and it, and it destroys. And, and grace is almost like a cancer to sin that's in our lives. If you allow it, it will eat up condemnation and it will spit out guilt. That's how powerful grace is. Grace is a powerful thing in our life that can eat up the guilt and the shame and spit out the mess if we just let grace run rampant in our life. Another way to look at it and talk about sin is to talk about the issues that sin creates. We see these issues in society today. Right now, you can go on the media and social media and you can see there are many issues right now that are happening in our world. And I wanna say that I am not unaware of all of the stuff that's happening, all of the big kind of hot button topics, hot mic topics that are out there right now. I follow a lot of different uh, pastors and on social media and I see the different statements and how they are responding to the many different issues that we are facing in society right now. And for example, I can just give you a quick highlight reel here, issues such as Black Lives Matter. I see pastors putting out statements. I see AAPI. I see uh, the border crisis, voter ID and fraud. I see people putting statements out about gun violence, about abortion, about domestic violence, and all of these issues that are coming out and, and are happening right now in the world. And for uh, a lot of people, when I read those issues out, your stance on those issues is clear cut. You know where you stand, you know what you think. And some, for example, some are on the very same issue, all guns should be banned. And then others are, uh, we need more guns. That's how some people think. And the ones who think that all guns should be banned, think about the other people that they're crazy. And the one people that think, the people that think we need more guns, think about the ones who think they should be banned, think that they're crazy because they can't see what's happening and what would happen. And so there are a lot of people that have got their stand on particular issues. And even for me, I'll be honest, there are some of these issues, some of them have, that what I read are very clear cut in terms of what I stand. But there's one thing that you have to understand about me as the pastor of Exchange Church is that when we discuss these issues, I lay down my opinion for God's word. I am not a source of truth or morality. I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. I don't get to tell you what's right and wrong. That has been established. God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we talk about the hot button issues that are happening in our world today, what I'm saying is I'm more discussing with people my interpretation of scripture rather than how I feel or my opinion about the issues that we talk about based on my own 
personal lived experience. What does truth say? That should be your commission, uh, your, com your commitment. Your commitment should be, what does God say? And that should be your position. And therefore then together, we work out our interpretation of scripture so that we can apply it to the many different issues that we face in our culture. Needless to say, there are actually well-meaning people right now that have strong beliefs and feelings about double API, Black Lives Matter, about abortion, about gun violence, about uh, uh, domestic violence, all the different issues. They have very strong, and I believe that in most cases, people are motivated uh, by a compassion and they're motivated by love. I don't think that they're sitting there thinking, you know, and on opposing sides of some of these hot button issues. I don't think they're sitting there being motivated by hate and anger. Some people just really feel very compelled that we need to say this or say that, or we need to take a stand. But the logical question is this, that I need to ask, and, 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 and there are well-meaning people that would want myself, Pastor Mark, to make a, a statement or a commitment about where we are at as a society and how we respond to the different issues. But the logical question is, is what issue am I actually supposed to write about? And I'm trying to process this, and it was a good challenge for me this week to think through this. What am I actually suppo supposed to write about? What issue? And, and then, or, and the other question is, is what or who gets to decide what issue that I write about. How is that decided? Is it because of right now what's popular in the media and social media? Is that what we as a church should now therefore take a stand on because that's what's popular out there right now? Or how about, I thought about this, I was trying to process it logically, how about I was actually to look up the statistics, the actual statistics of crime in America right now, I tried to find 2020, I guess they haven't been able to put those together, so I found 2019, and I was to look up, if I was to make a statement as a church, would it be, you know what, the most, uh, per 100,000 people, the, the number one offense and crime in America in 2019 was larceny and theft. Am I supposed to write an article right now about larceny and theft? Exchange Church is against larceny. We stand against thieves and stand with the people who have had stuff stolen. I can identify with that. I had $20,000 worth of stuff stolen within a short space of time. And if I wasn't careful, I could have let that sin creep into my heart, bitterness, anger, and ultimately unforgiveness. Maybe I should write about uh, burglary. Larceny and theft was 1,550 people per 100,000. Basically, if you expand that out across 330 million Americans, that's over 5 million people that had larceny and theft committed against them. Burglary, 340 people per 100,000. Aggressive assault, 250 per 100,000. Motor vehicle theft, that's a horrible one. That should say motorcycle theft, 220 people. Robbery, 81. Rape, 42. Murder and non-negligent manslaughter, five people per 100,000. These are statistics, and again, my, my, my point here and intent is not to devalue the issue that you care about that we would like Exchange Church to make a statement about. That's not the intent of what I'm saying here. It, this actually was a really good exercise for me. My goal is to make sure that we don't divorce 
the bride of Christ from the cause of Christ? What is the intent for the bride of Christ? That's the question that we should ask. That is the statement that we should make. What is the intent of Christ's church? Therefore, out of that, if you were to ask me to make a statement covering all issues in terms of the purpose of the church, the church, the bride that Christ is returning for, it would simply be this. Sin is the problem and Jesus is the solution. That's it. That covers it all. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem right now. I want to encourage you to be careful. It's easy for me or anyone, as a matter of fact, to put a statement out there. But, but this is my wisdom for you. Listen to what they say and watch what they do. Listen to what they have to say or read it, but watch what they do. It's easy for me to put a statement out there. Never think about that again. But if that statement reflects who I am, I want to make sure that it's really who I am and that it's not just some, as they say right now, virtual signal to make everyone happy and make everyone think that I'm a great pastor and a nice person. Now, I'm not saying let's go hunt hypocrites when I say listen to what they say and watch what they do. This is not about hunting hypocrites. I'm not, that's not what we are supposed to do as the church. I'm saying be wise about who and what you buy into. Be wise about that. Jesus, he did not have compassion for sin. He had compassion for the consequence of sin. Remember, God hates sin. Jesus detests sin. Jesus did not have compassion for sin. He had compassion on people who had and were experiencing the consequence of sin. Sin is a sickness of the soul. It needs and the only cure is Christ. There's one more thing that I've learned over this last crazy 14 months where it seems like the world caught fire, the world went crazy. And there's one thing that I've learned is that there are many issues that are facing us as a church today. There are many issues, but, and listen to this very carefully, the biggest issue in the church today is the eternal consequence of sin. That's it. That's the number one issue that I am, as the pastor of exchange, concerned about the most. It has always been and it always will be the issue of eternal consequence of sin. People dying, not knowing Christ. That's what matters most. That's what it's all about. In fact, our vision is know God, make him known, build his church, bring heaven to earth. It's real simple. And if people don't know God and they die, that's a big problem. When it comes to, uh, I, I feel like, the reality is this, is that we can become so self-centered uh, that we completely forget about our God-given mandate, which is to know God and to make him known. We can forget about that. And all of a sudden, an issue which I'm not putting the issue's morality on trial. I'm actually probably suggesting even the feelings and the heart you have towards those issues uh, probably motivated by uh, uh, grace and compassion and love. They're a good thing. But the most important thing is that someone knows Christ. 
The consequence of sin is far greater, and I want you to listen to this, is far greater than the consequence of COVID-19. The consequences of sin are far greater than the consequences of COVID-19. I'm just using what's relevant, what's in our world right now, but I want you to hear me out here. You say, you might say, but Mark, don't you know about how bad and dangerous COVID-19 is? You can die from getting COVID-19. Well, I'll encourage you this. Well, it will be a heck of a lot worse to die of COVID without knowing Jesus because of our sin problem. Sin is a huge problem and salvation is the only solution and that salvation is through Christ. Church, that should move you. That should move your heart that there are people who are dying without Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our life. Eternal life through Christ. We have an incredible mandate and responsibility to not just know God ourselves, but to make him known. It should move you. It should move your heart. Instead of being self-centered and self-absorbed, which I know myself we can get so caught up in, but it should remind us that the focus and the purpose of the church is not to allow different issues to become bigger than the main issue, which is the issue of someone's salvation. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And I want you to catch this last part here because I believe it puts things into perspective. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You know why? Because someone's soul, the salvation of someone's soul was so important that they were willing to risk their life and be martyred for the cause of Christ. You know, it would be a shame if we work so hard to solve racism as a country, but never dealt with sin. Imagine if we achieved, that we found the solution and there was no more racism, you know, and, and, and we solved that. And actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I actually even find it hard theologically, personally, I know there's many different views out there and, and I can appreciate that and I'm on a journey and I'm learning as well, just as much as you are, but I even struggle to say the word racism. And the reason why is because I believe God created one race, the human race. And therefore, if I think about that, is that the expressions of someone's ethnicity, I think is so treasured and is too big treasured and valued. I think about someone's different culture, culture being how man responds to man basic needs. And so you might have someone whose ethnicity is Asian and how Asian people responded to food. I find spectacular and just as how uh, Italian people responded to the need of food that creates culture, I think is spectacular. The need of shelter, how Greece responded to the need of shelter versus how America responds to the need of shelter, which forms our different ethnical cultures, I think is a thing to be celebrated. But you know what? At the same time, I think that we it would be a shame that if we got so caught up in fighting this battle of racism, but never solved uh, the problem of someone's soul, not knowing Christ. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about distractions. And I bring that up again. If an issue 
within a church becomes bigger than the issue of people dying without Christ, then it's a distraction. And it's at that point it becomes a distraction. I'm not devaluing the issue that you're talking about. I'm not saying, but I'm saying there is a priority, a prioritization list that we must create in our heart. And that statement, again, it doesn't devalue, but it should prioritize the awareness of sin and the need of salvation. The enemy loves to put labels on sin. That's what he loves to do. He labels sin. In God's eyes, all sin's equal. But the enemy puts labels on sin. And here's the reason why. And then once he puts a label on sin, he then attaches that label to a community or a group of people. And then, therefore, by association, everybody in that community is held accountable and sometimes guilty of that sin. And then we live according to that. For example, have you ever heard this statement? All, uh, have you ever heard white people are? Or have you ever heard Asian people are? Have you ever heard black people are? Or have you ever heard Hispanic people are? Or have you ever heard Christians are? Or have you ever heard Democrats and Republicans are? Or have you ever heard police are? All police are. Have you ever heard those statements? Have you ever seen that come out of someone's life? That's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to take the sin of one and put it on many, give it a label, and then that community is held accountable to that sin. Doesn't make sense. And when you stand before God in heaven and give an account for your life, there will be no one standing beside you. No one standing beside you when you give an account before God. It won't be, therefore, there is no white people judgment day. You catch that? There's no white people judgment day. There's no police judgment day. There's no politician judgment day. There's just your judgment day. You will be held accountable before God. But because of Christ, because of his death on the cross, your sins are forgiven. In the court case of your life, Jesus paid the price. You went on trial, but Jesus paid the price so that you could have right reconciliation with your heavenly father. Why am I preaching on this? Why would I have all the things I can preach on anything pretty much? Hopefully it's spirit led, but I could have preached on any topic, but why am I preaching on this? And here's the reason why. With all of the stuff that's out there right now, all of the different issues that you're passionate about, a lot of that I'm passionate about to be honest, but, and this is why I'm preaching on because I believe that Jesus is the answer and the church is the vehicle and it's people are the instruments that God uses to bring hope to the issues we are facing in our society yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, the issues will come and go. Next week, it might be a different issue, but I'll tell you what, the main issue is the main issue, the issue of salvation in someone's soul and how sin separates man from God. Sin is heavy. It is a heavy burden to carry. It's, I believe the cross was heavy. What do you do with that sin? What do you do with the consequence of that sin? In fact, I wonder how many religions have been, that are out there because, or not just because of someone's belief system of what they've been taught, but I wonder how many religions were invented and created 
because they needed to find a way to deal with the weight of sin. What do I do with this weight of sin? How do I, how do I deal with it? You know, God is holiness. God is justice. He's holy and he is just. And because God is righteousness and justice, we need Christ's righteousness. Because God is righteousness and justice, we need Christ's righteousness. Christianity, and I'm not sure if you've heard this message before, Christianity is not about how you pursue God, because that's works. That's all on your merit. Clap, clap for you because of what you achieved. In fact, a lot of religion, a lot of world religions are motivated through works, self-atonement, but works will not get you there. Works will not cross that line. Christianity is not about how you pursue God, but rather about how you respond to how God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you right now. And we have, the world has a sin problem. The world is dealing. All of these different issues are just manifestations of sin. All of the mess that we see our world in today. And we as the church have the awesome privilege of a revelation of who Christ is and what Christ can do in our life. Christ sets us free from the weight and burden of sin. You can live free because of who Christ is. Never forget that. And never forget that you are not just saved, you are called. And you are not just uh, set free from your sin, but you are commissioned to go into the world and be a, a light, to be a voice that carries a message of the good news of what Christ has done. I just think that is fantastic. It is spectacular news to know that God wants to use you. In fact, I believe that the grace of God is so powerful that you shouldn't be worried or stressed about what you've done in your past. Deal with it, work it out, take it to the cross. But remember this is that you are called. You have been called by God to walk in that truth and to walk in that freedom. I just love that awesome privilege of being able to see every week when I preach and I see people in person, I see over 20 years of doing this, when the lights come on and you see people freed from addiction, you see marriages with the burden of fairness and, and, and anger and bitterness and all of the guilt that comes and the shame that can build up into a marriage, but then the grace of God comes in. Jesus sets those marriages free and those two become one and therefore now they discover the purpose of that marriage to serve and love God. I love the power of grace, of the resurrection of Christ. You're not just saved, you're called. God is holy. He is holiness. He is justice. Justice and vengeance belongs to God. My prayer is this, is that we, although must be passionate about the many issues that are in our world right now, we must be passionate about that. The church needs to speak up and be a voice. But the biggest issue is the issue of sin. Please don't allow these issues to distract you. They will come and go. They will one day be here and gone the next. But what will remain is the issue of sin and someone needing to repent. My, the, the, my favorite part is this. 
is that we think of repentance as a dirty word, but it's not dirty word. It's not a dirty word at all. Repentance is actually maybe the, one of the most wonderful words in the English language. It is actually hope that you can confess those sins out and see literally a supernatural thing will happen where those, those things that you confess break off your life. And maybe that might not just be a one moment thing for you. It's a journey that unfolds. But the power of repentance and confessing to Christ that he is Lord and you and you ask for forgiveness of your sin. When you ask in that moment, when you say, God, forgive me. And you mean it too. It's not, it's not like you're just faking it to make it. You mean it from your heart. God, forgive me. God, forgive me and, 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 and accept me and accept this prayer. Man, at that point, the Bible says that you'll be saved. And not just when you're saved, you can still, still repent well into however long you're a Christian. My prayer is this, is that as a church, that repentance would be part of our language. And I believe it is part of our language is that we would never get so prideful or arrogant to think that we've got it all together and that the person who stands on the platform is the most holiest amongst us. That is not the theology or teaching of this church. We are all, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I love the fact that Jesus provided a way out. So what I'm gonna do right now in this moment is I want to pray a prayer, especially for people who are distant or feel somewhat disconnected from God. And I believe usually there are three groups of people that I say this every week. Please don't tune out if you hear this every week. My prayer is that if you are a regular and you hear this, my prayer is you learn this prayer. And I pray that you would have the privilege of praying it with someone in your world this week. But my, my heart and my prayer this week is this, is usually there are three groups of people, is that the first group is your relationship with God is fantastic. Well, guess what? You're not just saved, you are called. And I pray that God will use you this week. Second group of people is maybe you once had a flourishing relationship with God, but somewhat, somehow, you're distant. You didn't want to be like that, but now you are. And so, the good news is this, is God creates moments like this so that you can write reconcile back to your heavenly father through repentance, through the acknowledgement and embracing of Christ. And then finally, maybe you've never made a decision for Jesus to be number one in your life. You're hearing this, you believe God's real, but you've never taken a step forward. You've never pursued it. And you're hearing a message like this, it's called the gospel, which means the good news. And it is exactly that good news. So I'm going to pray a prayer. If you're in the latter two, I pray that you would take my words, make them yours and pray them to God. But if you're in that first group, my prayer is this, is that you would learn this prayer, write it down, and you would pray that one day God would use you to pray it with someone. What an awesome privilege that we have. So we can all pray this prayer together. Dear God, I come to you today and I ask for your forgiveness for all the times I've hurt you, and all the times I've hurt others. Holy Spirit, help me and guide me to live each day for you. And so from my heart, with my mouth, I confess you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Fantastic. Well, if you prayed that prayer or learnt that prayer, I pray that you would be uh, excited about 
uh, becoming part of one of our uh, exchange church community groups. They are an awesome way to get connected. Please email us at hello at exchangecc.com. That is how you can get connected. We respond to those emails. We want you not just to have a moment with God, but to build a relationship with Him. And that, we believe, is done in community. And so once again, email us at hello at exchangecc.com. Now, I pray that you receive the word today, but also I want to encourage you that as, again, county guidelines continue to lift. I say this every week, they're continuing to lift. Uh, we have our, uh, you don't know this, you can't see this, all you can see is what's in the square on your TV or, or your device. But we have air filters in this place, we have air conditioning, again, that, that filters this stuff out. So we have a very safe environment, we do everything we can, everything is wiped down and sterilized before people come in on a Sunday service. You can register in person on a Sunday. And I want to encourage you to do that. And of course, again, if your health doesn't permit that, then you would have to use your own discretion and wisdom on that. But I would encourage you, there's nothing like being in a group of people in the presence of God, hearing a live word. It's just different. And and I, and I pray that maybe God's gonna give you a little bit of a nudge. And, and you know, last week we had two services in here at the ministry center and taps ministered and it was an incredible Sunday. It was, it was just a, a wonderful time in God's presence. So I wanna encourage you to do that. Other than that, I pray that you have a fantastic word, uh, a week and I pray that this word shall not return void. We encourage you, maybe it will be a reset and a refocus. As you go out in this week, I pray again that God will use you and have a great week. See you next Sunday. Amen.